0: We're trying to help people uh, step up into their rightful place, sit down with Jesus on the throne. Bible says you're seated with him in heavenly places. We're trying to help everybody sit down with him on the throne, all right? All right. But to do that, you're gonna to have to learn stuff. You're gonna to have to learn what the Bible says about you and God, all the principles, all the laws of faith. You're gonna to have to learn all that. You're gonna to have to apply all that. We've been talking about, you're gonna to have to begin to say all of that because if you don't say the truth, then it's like having a pack of seeds for your garden sitting on the shelf. You have to learn it and not just leave it on the shelf. You have to say it. You have to talk truth. You have to say the word of God. You have to quote scripture uh, first, especially about yourself, who you are in Christ, what's new in Christ, what you have in Christ, where you're headed in Christ. All All the truth needs to be spoken out of your mouth. God spoke it out of his mouth, now you need to speak it out of your mouth, then all of a sudden you'll see that it's flowing with you. If you can't plant your seed, if you can't say the words, it will never produce any harvest for you. And that's why when you're sick or when your body's hurt, you're gonna have to say some truth on purpose and you'll find that you get healed. If you'll do it with all your heart until your faith connects, you will get healed by quoting scripture that applies to, to what God has provided. And so we, we know all that, but we're trying to help people uh, ha, have victory in this life and sit with Christ and find their place. Today should help that a bit because I'm going to talk about covenant today. Covenant today. There's some things you got to learn that, has, that, that takes you further than just everybody be positive. Everybody be nice. Everybody just get along. Everybody just love one another. You know, love one another is not a command for sinners. Sinners can't love one another with God's love. They don't have God's love. Love one another is a command to Christians who have the love of God in them. So I can't just tell, tell you to just have, have a lot of hope, trust in God, don't worry about anything. That's not enough. You have to know why you have hope. You need to know why you can trust God. You need to know what trust God actually means and implies what it carries with it. That's why you got to learn promises from God, because if you can't learn promises from God, then it's just kind of fabricated hope, fabricated trust. Well, I'm just going to not, I'm just going to trust God and close. No, you're not an ostrich. You're going to have to learn how to trust God and why to trust God and why you can trust God. And covenant is a main reason for it. All right. So let's read the scripture here. Uh, Ephesians chapter two. Verse 11, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, meaning non-Jews in the flesh, people without covenant in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Meaning the Jews call non-Jews uncircumcision, uncircumcised people. That not, The flesh circumcision has nothing to do with it anymore, but because... Everyone but the Jews were uncircumcised. They had no covenant. They had no covenant. The proof was they were uncircumcised. So the people with covenant looked at non-covenant people and said, you're the uncircumcision. You don't have a covenant with God. And that was exactly true before Christ. That at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, Israel had covenant. We were non-Jewish people were aliens from the covenant and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you didn't understand anything about covenant. You didn't have covenant with God, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So today I want to talk about no more strangers. You cannot be strangers of the covenant. And the reason we have to talk about it is because most people in modern day don't understand what a covenant is. Covenant has been used uh, in all the ancient civilizations, and there's a reason for it. We would understand contract. We would understand notarized piece of paper proves that I will adhere to what's been written. We understand that part right. You got to get a lawyer involved when there's a covenant made between people. Somehow there's got to be some proof of signature and I got to make sure it was really you because whatever you said has to be adhered to or we go to court. So that's really what a covenant is uh, in the legal sense. It's It's a contract. It's a legal contract. Now ancient civilizations have made covenants with one another since the beginning of time. One nation or the king of one nation, would meet the king of another nation, and if they were going to make a deal, they proved it by cutting covenant. And cutting covenant usually implied blood had to be cut, usually a scar in the hand, a handshake, mixing of blood, or sometimes they would each cut, they would drip blood in in a cup of grape juice and drink it, proving we've exchanged our lives here. I promise my nation will protect your nation, and you promise that whatever good stuff you have in your nation, you'll give to me. It's usually an exchange of strengths and weaknesses. I don't have a great military and, I, and you don't uh, have money and so we're gonna exchange. And so there's a lot of covenants made today, it's just not called covenant necessarily, but covenants are binding. It's, it's till death do us part. Does that ring a bell? Marriage is the greatest form of covenant that we have in modern day. It's really the greatest form of covenant in the earth, period. Marriage is a covenant that two people uh, mix their lives completely so far that they're called one flesh, and it's till death do we part. And so we fight for one another. We live for one another. Whatever I have is yours. Whatever you have is mine, and we're going to prove it By cutting the covenant. That's what happens, supposed to happen on wedding night, where blood is exchanged. That's covenant, and it's powerful. And it's it's strength. And you and I have one of those with God. And that's why Christ in the church is the symbol of marriage, or vice versa. Marriage is the symbol of Christ and the church. He's tied to us. He's stuck to us. He made a covenant with us, and it's forever binding. Now, that, that begins, okay, now what does that mean? What's in the covenant? Uh, well, let's, let's examine a couple of things. Go to Genesis. We'll see how, how, how some of the early covenants started. Uh, God made a covenant with Noah, promised that he had never ruined the earth again, put the rainbow in the sky to prove it. Uh, and then there's some other covenants you'll see made, but I wanted to highlight Abraham's covenant and maybe uh, David and Jonathan's covenant. The word actually means uh, where blood flows. That's what the word covenant means. The definition is where blood flows, literally translated from the Hebrew, where blood flows. And that's why this book, the entire book is a covenant book. The entire book is a covenant book. Before Adam and Eve sinned, we didn't need the book. We had the full nature of God and we lived in the glory so much that Adam and Eve didn't know they needed clothing. After they sinned, God shed blood. He was the first killer of animals so that he could make skins to cover Adam and Eve's sin. Blood had to be shed to cover their sin. So there's uses, several uses of blood. Uh, We'll get to that in a minute. Genesis 15, verse one, these things, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I'm your shield. your exceeding greatly, great reward. Skip down to verse four and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but who will, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars. If you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who's brought you out of the of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I shall inherit it? So here Abraham already believed in the Lord, but he still wanted proof. How shall I know that what you're saying is true? Why would he have to ask God that? Wouldn't he just assume that God's word was good? Why would he have to ask for further proof? I mean, here God is talking to him and he says, how shall I know that what you're promising me is going to come to pass? I'll tell you why. It's because we always want proof. Everybody wants proof. Even children want proof. Mom and dad say, hey, hey, we're going to go eat pizza. You promise? Hey, for your birthday, we're gonna go do the XYZ. You promise? You promise? Why? You just told them. Why do they need further confirmation? Because humans want further confirmation. I could just tell you trust God and you say, how, how, how can I trust God? What gives me the right? Like, do you promise you'll be healed when you pray? You promise you'll be saved when you say the prayer? You promise? It's part of our nature to want affirmation, to want confirmation, to want proof that what I'm expecting is going to come to pass. Well, if you understand covenant, you've got it. If you don't understand covenant, it'll be hard to trust God. If you don't understand covenant, it'll be hard to trust God, even though He's spoken, even though the Scripture is written, even though the teacher and preacher has said things, even though you believe things. It's going to be hard to trust completely if you don't understand covenant. If you don't understand how bound God is to His word, you, you, it, you won't receive from God. It'd be difficult to trust God. So how? shall I know that I will inherit it? He said to him, "Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and, and a young pigeon." And he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. I'm not going to teach on all that. Uh, Verse 12, but when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs and will serve them. They will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. After that they shall come out with great possessions. Skip down to verse 18, or verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I've given this land, etc., etc. You got it? So God required blood to prove that he was going to give Abraham this covenant. The proof that Abraham would get the promise was I've killed an animal. I've shed blood for you. I'm showing you I'm serious by the sacrifice of a precious animal and more than that. Several. God made this first covenant with blood. Well, he made the first covenant with Adam and Eve <laughs> when he covered their sin, but he made this covenant with blood. You'll see that covenants are made with blood. And this is where you start seeing the, the foreshadowing that, oh, the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, which was slain before any creation. God knew he was going to have to do this. He was going to have to allow his own son to be killed so that blood could be shed, so that humanity could be bought and paid for and forgiven. Look at uh, chapter 17 here. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, said, I'm the almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless and I'll make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face. God talked with him saying, "As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Skip down to verse Nine, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Now God's going to require humans to give up some blood to prove their side of the covenant. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. There's got to be a sign of the covenant. There's got to be a seal. There's got to be a signature of this covenant. God God did the first one, and then he required humans to do it. And then God's going to shed his own blood with Jesus Christ. Verse 12, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he's born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner. Verse 13, he who is bought in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Notice that the covenant was not with just Jewish blood people. It's with anybody that makes a covenant. Anybody that makes the covenant can be in because covenant is more powerful than race, than family, covenant is more powerful. Covenant is more powerful. And that's why Jesus Christ himself, that's why he lived like he did and said what he said. You know, his disciples came, the place was crowded. They said, oh, your mother and your brothers are outside. Like, you want me to give them first, first row? He's like, who, who are my brothers and my sister and my mother? It's, it's he that does the will of God. He that hears the will of God, the word of God and keeps it. So he minimized natural family, elevated covenant people Amen. who walk with God. That's right. And you and I need to find a way to do that too. Amen. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's what Jesus said. Well, who is that? That's a covenant friend. Jesus' first covenant friend, he sticks closer than your natural family. And I would say any covenant friend should stick closer. Than natural family. Family of God. Tighter. Than natural family. As you begin to get revelation of this. It will help you. Listen. It will help your Christian commitment. It will help your walk. It will help you recognize the value. Of what God has done. Through Jesus Christ. You just got to open up to it. Uh, and, and look, I, I understand that I used to preach this to, uh, when we started the church, I preached it a bunch. And man, I had a couple that were supposedly mature and leaders and been around a long time. They just hated it every time I talked like this. That they hated me reading Matthew chapter 10 that says you got to love Jesus more than your mother and your father. They just hated it. So I understand that it's hard to take because you love your natural family so much. But if you can start elevating the value of the cross of Jesus and the bloodshed in this covenant between God and us, it will help you in every area of your life. Not only will it help you receive promises, it'll also help you commit. It'll help you walk right. It'll help you walk uprightly. It'll help you reestablish priorities in your life. Praise the Lord. It was so important to Abraham that he, he caught this and, and, and became a friend of God. James in the New Testament summarizes some of it. He says, Abraham was the friend of God. Wow. And if you recall, when uh, God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, you know what? I can't hide from Abraham what I'm about to do. I better talk to him. Wow. He says, friend. You want to hide something from your friend. Wow. From your covenant friend, he he made a covenant with him. I mean, it's everything. You get everything. And that's why the New Testament says, all things are yours. Christ is yours. All the gospel is yours. The kingdom is yours. Everything is yours. He exchanged everything that he had for everything we have. He said, I can't hide from Abraham. Let me tell him what I'm about to do. And that's when, I mean, it's like, like, why was there even a question? Because Abraham was trying to talk him out of it. He's like, I'm gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, Abraham, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's hold off the destruction here. If there's 50 righteous, can you not destroy the cities? God says, okay, if there's 50 righteous. Abraham says, whoa, 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 whoa. How about 45? Because he knows there's not that many righteous people there. He was just getting God started. 45, how about 45? Okay, if there's 45, how about 40? How about 35, 30, 25, 20, 15? And then Abraham gets him down to 10 whittles him down to 10. If there's 10 righteous, will you, will you save the cities? God said, if there's 10 righteous, we're not sure how come Abraham didn't go one further and just say, if there's one, then we wouldn't be able to look at Sodom and Gomorrah and the severity of their sin. I don't know. Uh, For some reason he stopped at 10, but it was, it was a discussion. I mean, if you have covenant with God, you get to discuss things. He's always been like that. You have covenant with God, you get to plead with him. Scripture in Isaiah 43 says, come, let us plead together. State your case. Talk to me. You have covenant with God? If you have covenant with God, you get some clout. If you have covenant with God, you can actually enter into the throne room and have discussion with your father. So covenant-minded people, they don't pray hopelessly down in the earth like God's way off and like, I don't even know if he's ever going to hear me or not. I'm just going to say these, oh no, no, covenant people just come right up into the throne room. But you got to know that you're a covenant person. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So be a covenant-minded man. Let me just quote this from uh, 1 Samuel when uh, David made a covenant with Jonathan, Saul's son. He had no real reason to, it's just something happened in their hearts and they were knit together. It says when he had, David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And this is where you start seeing that in covenant, there's an exchange made. Uh, the, 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 The coats and robes were an exchange of authority, symbolic of authority. David had mighty warrior strength. Jonathan had positional strength in the nation. He was the son of the king. So in making the exchange, they get both. They exchange their strength and they exchange their enemies and they exchange their weaponry, signifying, I'll fight for you and I'll live for you. I'll die for you. And you'll find that in your life that there'll be Christians that you make covenant with, not with, you don't have to do the blood and the grape juice thing. You don't have to do that uh, because your words, same way you get saved. You get saved without having to shed your own blood. You do it with words. So when you, when you start finding your soul is knit You can make a covenant with somebody without even saying it. Like you don't got to go up to everybody. I'd like to make a covenant with you. I'd be suspicious of people that did that a lot. But I've found in my Christian walk that there's certain people, my soul seems knit. And the first thing that comes is I want to give you something. The first thing that comes, I want to give you something big. I want to give you something that matters. That's my first thought is I want to bless you. I I want to love you. I want to show you my love and devotion somehow. Now, in wedding, you do the same thing. Both people exchange these rings, right? And you go through words and you go through promises. That's part of covenant making. And so there'll be covenant people that you have in your life. Not, Not to neglect the fact that we're all covenant people together to a larger degree. And so you need to devote to one another. The Christian family over every other relationship you have out there. See, that goes over real big. We got one happy person about it. Everybody else looking around going, I don't know about these people. I think I might want to go find a different group of people. No, that's all you get. If God sent you here, this is who you get to pick from. Praise the Lord. So this covenant that David and Jonathan made was so powerful that Later, after Saul was out of the picture and David was king, David has this idea. He says, hey, tells his servant, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? Because he had a covenant with Jonathan who died. He's dead. Saul and Jonathan are dead. Is there anybody that I can show kindness because of this covenant? The covenant lasts Covenant lasts forever. And they say, well, there's this one fellow, Mephibosheth. uh, He's lame in his feet, but he's over in Lodabar somewhere. He says, get him here. Mephibosheth comes and David explains. And he says, the whole kingdom of Saul is now yours. And you're going to eat at my table from here on out. Eat at the king's table from here on out. What a blessing, right? Because of covenant with somebody else, Mephibosheth got taken care of for the rest of his life. The question arises, how come he wasn't already at the king's table? Because he didn't know about this covenant. Somehow he must have missed the fact that Jonathan, his dad, had made a covenant with the king, David. And that's what happens with us. We don't realize we have a covenant with God, and so we live far beneath our means when he, we live far beneath the promises of God because we don't understand covenant, didn't know that we could actually sit at the table before our enemies. He's prepared a table before our enemies. Most people don't realize that. Most people are fighting enemies. I don't want to fight enemies, I want to eat lunch. <laughs> Let the enemies fight themselves, I will eat lunch. Let the troubles uh, be dealt with by God and the angels in the kingdom of God, I, I will just eat. I will just rejoice. I will be found where I'm supposed to be. I will be in church. I'll be serving God. I'll be rejoicing. I'll be trusting. I'll be letting him fight my battle. But if you don't know the table has been set, I mean, look, Christians quote Psalm 23 all the time. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Nobody believes it. Nobody's actually s- stopped and thought, hmm, that changes the war. glory. And that's why Jesus said over in Luke 13, when the the woman with the spirit of infirmity came and was bowed over, he said, ought not this woman who's been bound these many years be loosed from the bond on this this Sabbath day? Remember that? "Ought Ought not these Christians be loosed from their problems? They got covenant. Covenant was made at the cross. Ought not these Christians be loosed? Ought not you be freed from fear and anxiety? Ought not you be freed from cancer and infirmity and malady? Ought not you be free, bought your freedom? Ought not you be? You just gotta know that he made, he made such a covenant with you, he will uphold his side. All you gotta do is show up to receive it. All you gotta do is show up, Go, come from Lodabar, come from wherever you're without, come all the way into the king's palace and get what's yours. How do you do that? Well, you do it by faith. You do it by sitting there this morning, believing it with all your heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The the thorns that were on Jesus' head signify that the curse is in the earth. But the cross and the blood signify that you're redeemed from it. You're redeemed. The blood has redeemed us from the curse. Blood in the spirit realm purchases things. Blood, that's how exchange of power is made in the spirit realm. You were held under the power of the devil in bondage until Jesus shed blood. Blood paid for you to get out. Now, the exchange of power has been made and all power has been given unto Jesus and us. It's the reason why uh, witchcraft and, and all the strange Satanist people, they're always sacrificing something and, and, and shedding blood. Why? Why? Because there's power in the spirit realm with blood. Don't fall into that garbage, but just trust that the blood of Jesus got all the power you need. So blood purchases things, makes an exchange of power. Blood cleanses all things. Cleanses you from sin. The blood cleansed the Israelites in their flesh, but it cleanses us in our spirit. That the blood of Jesus has been shed to cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of Jesus can erase your memory of how bad you used to be. Really, that it's necessary. You have to forget how wrong you were and how sinful you were 10 years ago, last year, last month, last week. You have to forget that. You have to forget how much of a failure you were in order to serve God. Because if you live with a consciousness of sins, your faith will leak out. You'll lose initiative in your heart if you're conscious of sins. The blood is your antidote for your guilty memory, it's the only one you got. We're not saying just hide all your sins, we're saying have faith in the blood to cleanse you from all your sins. So, which speaks louder in heaven? Your sins or the blood? Blood. In the courtroom of heaven, you got sins on one side being thrown at God from the devil, accusing the brethren. And then over here on the attorney, the mediator, Jesus' side, you got blood. Just a bowl of blood speaking louder than all of the accusations. The scripture says the blood speaks. That the blood of Jesus speaks louder. The blood of this new covenant speaks louder than even Abel's blood. Remember Abel's blood cried out to God? The blood of Jesus speaks louder than that. You think that a human life was was important? The blood of the lamb more important. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Blood also protects. Remember the Passover lamb was killed. They had to put the blood on the doorpost uh, so that the angel of death would pass by and not. And if you didn't have that sacrifice, if you didn't have that blood, devil was, it was got you. The devil got you. Same thing today. You keep the blood over you. The devil has to pass by you. Well, then how come he's been after me? Because you don't have faith yet. You don't have revelation of this covenant. Somehow you're not there yet. We want you to be. Somehow you've lost sight that the blood of Jesus is all you need. So that's why you got to go around the house pleading the blood all the time. Pleading the blood out of your own mouth from your own heart is more powerful than sprinkling all your windows with oil. People are like, can you come do a deliverance on the house? No, but I can teach you how to plead the blood. Your house does not need to be delivered. You do. You need faith that this covenant is with you between you and God. That's enough. You don't need special oil. Can you please pray over this bottle of oil? I will not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I won't do it. In the past, preachers did that. I I don't want to do it. It's misleading. It's misleading to pray over a bottle of Wesson oil or olive oil from Israel. That's misleading. Listen, it's totally misleading. And they do it on television and they say for any offering that you send we'll send this precious bottle. I would That is embarrassing. And and I listen, I'm sorry that saved born again spirit-filled preachers do that to you. They should not be doing that. It's embarrassing. It's wrong and it's embarrassing and I don't know who else is doing it out there but I've seen it way too much. And uh, I'm trusting that God will take care of his own servant. I don't have to, but I can warn you, that is garbage. And it's apologetic. It's reason for apology to the body of Christ. Very sorry that people have made money off Christians like that. Don't fall for that concept. The blood of Jesus is where it comes from. The authority behind the name is where it comes from. Faith in his word is where it comes from. Don't put any faith in superstitious activity. Praise the Lord. Glory. It must be y'all aren't praising God enough. And the babes, the babes are winning. The babes are winning. Uh, Go to Hebrews. We'll try to end with Hebrews. I mean, we might read the whole book of the Bible, but we'll end with it. (laughs) Hebrews chapter three. Um, I remember a story that I remember vaguely from Brother Copeland. And he said this regarding covenant. He'd been teaching on covenant. And after the service, a lady, uh, somebody invited him over to uh, the hospital. So he went to the hospital to visit a sick person And he began to talk to him about covenant. He said, well, wait a second, now Jesus died on the cross for you uh, and and cut the covenant between you and God. And in that covenant, there is healing. By stripes, you're healed. In that covenant, there's answer to your prayer. And he just kind of revved her up to believe that she has covenant with God. And uh, before you know it, you know, they're both getting pretty loud about it. And, And he's asking her, do you have covenant with God? I've got a covenant with God and I'm getting out of this hospital. He says, uh, I think you have a covenant with God. Yes, I have a covenant with God, and I'm getting out of this, and I refuse to be sick. And so he says, okay, that settles it, and he leaves. Well, he's in the car driving away, and he gets a phone call from her. Somehow he gets a phone call from her, or maybe he arrives at his house or something, and he gets a phone call from her. And uh, she says, oh, I'm feeling so bad again. I don't, know if, I don't know if it worked. And he said, now, wait a second. Uh, what did we decide while, while you, we were there, while I was there? She said, well, she said, you have a covenant with God. He said, yeah, you have a covenant with God, right? God didn't take that away from you. She said, well, that's right. You know. He said, by, your stripe, by stripes, you're healed, right? She said, well, yeah. He said, because he shed his blood for you and cut the covenant with you, you have a covenant with God, right? She said, you know, I do have a covenant with God. I have a covenant with God. He just reminded her again, and before you know it, she walked out of the hospital that same day. The question for all of you is, do you have a covenant with God or not? If you have a covenant with God, why are you worried? If you have a covenant with God, why don't you find the scripture and just just say, well, it's in the contract. Why don't you get your supply for the month from the the covenant? You need a job? He'll give you a job. All of your needs get met according to the covenant. Isn't that right? You can say it that way, that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We could just say, according to the covenant, he meets all my needs. Not only did he pay for your salvation, he took care of your whole life in this covenant. This is covenant book. You better learn it quickly. I'm trying to teach it fast, but you gotta learn it. Hallelujah. I wanted to read this scripture in Hebrews 3 uh, just, just to throw in. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He's the apostle and high priest of what you say. He's the apostle and high priest of your overall Christian confession. Yes. That what? Jesus is Lord. But he's the apostle and high priest of your confession. That means he does something when you say something. So pleading the blood would be very useful. Reminding God of a scripture is very useful for life because Jesus is the apostle and caretaker of what you say. Uh, Move to Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine. Verse 13, verse 13 is Old Testament. Verse 14 is New Testament. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling in the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We got to get over into the purpose. There's a purpose for this. It's not just to get you to heaven because that would be done, right? It's for life on earth. So your conscience needs to be cleansed so that you can serve God. Look at chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That's how you get to go in there is by the blood. By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. See that? Hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Sprinkled with what? Sprinkled with the blood. You need faith that you've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. And our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That scripture He who promised is faithful is talking about the covenant. Therefore, let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast. Let us hold tightly the scripture we're believing. Why? Because we have covenant and he is faithful who promised. Kind of solves all your problems, doesn't it? I said, it kind of solves all your problems. Glory. Uh, Another scripture says that uh, he's surety. Jesus is the surety of a better covenant. Look at uh, chapter eight. He's the surety, meaning he's the guarantor. You know, in some contracts, you have a guarantor. And usually they step in to back you up. Like I guarantee that their word is good. I guarantee they will pay the bill. I guarantee they'll show up in court. I'm the guarantor. So if they don't, I got to pay for it. Jesus is the guarantor. He's guaranteed our salvation, our deliverance, our health, our safety. He's guaranteed the whole covenant. Even if you fail, even if you fail, he's the back. He's the backer. This is why the covenant is so secure. This is why you can have everything in the covenant, even though you're not perfect. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Uh, let me, Hebrews 8, is, I want to kind of prove that uh, it's impossible to break the covenant. It's impossible for you and I to break the covenant. Okay, uh, Jesus is the, because Jesus is the guarantor. Because Jesus is the guarantor, it's impossible for you to break it. God made a covenant with a man in the earth named Jesus Christ. Because he made the covenant through Christ, you're secure. He didn't make a covenant individually with everybody. He made a covenant with Christ and anyone who's in Christ is secure. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 But now he Jesus has made uh, obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he's the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises for if that first covenant had been faultless then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he said, so we've got to have a better covenant than finding fault. Finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, talking to the Jews, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. The new covenant is for Israel. Old covenant's over. They failed it. New covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. That's why the old covenant law of Moses no longer in effect. For this is the covenant that I will make. Well, just not, I want you to see this. They did not continue in my covenant. In the Old Testament, you'll see that term. They did not continue in the covenant. They did not keep the covenant. And he would say that several times. Because you didn't keep the covenant, I'm turning you over to your enemies. And you see that all throughout the Old Testament where they were in favor, a new king would arise, they would be turned over to their enemies. Now God does not turn you over to your enemies. They failed the covenant. You can't fail the covenant. Okay, now just hang with me. It doesn't mean you just go crazy, but it does mean that you still have covenant even though you're not faithful. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 says, if we endure, we shall also reign together. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he abides faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Meaning he's promised it, and he promised it in Christ. He can't deny himself. Jesus was the man who substituted. So we have a man in heaven now. Now, he was the son of God as well, but we have a man also who has passed into the heavens and sits on the on the throne of God. So notice it says, though we are unfaithful or faithless, he abides faithful. Okay. So you got to keep that with the fact. Now, if you deny him, he'll deny you. So we're not talking about people that flat out deny Jesus Christ. We're not talking about flat out people that completely deny God, deny Jesus, won't know part of him. We're not talking to them. He'll deny them if they, if they truly in their heart deny him, he, he's, that disconnects them because it's by faith. If you don't have faith in Christ, then you're done. But if you're in Christ and just unfaithful, like you're not upholding your side, he's still faithful. Hallelujah. And that's why even though you're imperfect, you still have covenant with God. So don't live your Christian life thinking, oh, I haven't kept the covenant. Oh No. Because how well you keep the covenant does not determine the blessing of God, the favor of God, the protection and safety and deliverance of God. That, that, does not, that's, that would mean you merit it by keeping the covenant. I'm keeping the covenant better than most. You can look at my refrigerator. You can look at what I do on Saturday. I'm doing it better than most people. Oh, well, you just, you just forfeited everything. Christ will profit you nothing. If you're going to go back to the law and try to get circumcised and do all these physical things to be better, Christ profits you nothing. I'll just stay in Christ and have covenant through him. I don't need to make my own covenant. I don't need to prove that I'm worthy. I know I'm not. I'm going to stick with Christ. He's the guarantor of a better covenant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, Go back to Ephesians 2 where we started and we'll finish with this. Oh, I said we were finishing in Hebrews. Well, the plan was to finish. The plan was I was supposed to read this scripture early in Ephesians because it's right there next to the other. Ephesians 2, back where we started. Don't worry about it. I cut out a few scriptures anyway, so you're safe. The time is safe. Ephesians 2 10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you used to be strangers from the covenants of promise. I, I skipped verse 11. So, we were created for good works. Therefore, remember you used to be strangers of co- the covenants of promise. Listen, if you understand covenant better, you'll be better workers for God. You've been created for good works. You all sense that. If you understand covenant, it'll give you motivation to do good. Those who understand covenant are more likely to share their faith with others. If you're not sharing your faith with others, you haven't understood covenant well enough. Because if you have covenant with God and someone else could you will certainly try to help them. If you understood how powerful it would, it would be to eat at the king's table all the days of your life, how could you not invite your friends? If you were Mephibosheth, wouldn't you have said to David at some point in the next year, hey, can I get my friend? To come? Can he come? Yeah, yeah, let him, let him have a stay over, come over. Wouldn't you care about other people having covenant with God? Nobody, if they understood covenant, would be selfish with the salvation plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're more apt to share your faith with others and get through the fear and the intimidation and the, all that awkwardness, who cares? If it means having covenant with God, I'll bend over backwards twice for you. It's amazing, it's all exciting when it's talking about you getting blessings. Now we're talking about you giving blessings, like, Come on, you need some motivation to commit to the cause of Christ. Your life will never be totally happy until you can commit to the cause of Christ. Hallelujah. He knows if you're committed or not. There's an insignificance of winning souls to the carnal Christian. Some Christians are very carnal, very happy to be saved, don't really want to learn much or do much. Because if you learn it, then you got to do it. So why would I want to go to church and learn more? I don't really want to do more. Well, you got to understand covenant, and then all of a sudden your priorities will start changing. Amen. Understand this relationship between God and the value of it. Huh. You know what? I think it's worth a little time. So, in this covenant, listen, you're not exempt from good works. You're not exempt from a life of obedience. You're not exempt from holiness. You're not exempt from sanctification. You're not exempt from doing good. You're not exempt from winning souls. You're not exempt from being a light to the world, a salt to the earth. You're not exempt from being a real Christian. Just because you have covenant doesn't mean you don't have to be a real Christian. Now, your covenant doesn't depend on you being right and perfect all the days of your life, but it does call you to be right and perfect all the days of your life. And one of the problems with people not caring about kingdom work, church existence. We didn't finish. If he, uh, Hebrews 10 says, In that same passage, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, hold fast to the profession of your faith. One of the reasons why people find it hard to be a light to the world and care enough about this holy kingdom and church life is because they're too tied to money. You can't serve God and money. And so when money and family is more important than covenant, you're not going to win, soul. You're not going to share your faith. Guarantee it. Guarantee you won't be sharing your faith if money's a priority in your life. It's a a barometer for you. I'm I'm not looking at your money. It's a barometer for you to wonder and consider, why am I not so interested like it seems other people are? It's not because they're special. See, you thought they were special. You thought you were escaping having to share your faith at school and at work. You can't serve God and mum, and, and money, <laughs> mumming. You can't serve God and mumming. Material things. So if the cares of life are bigger than covenant, you won't win souls. If money and livelihood are bigger than covenant, you won't win souls. If money and family are more important to you, then this covenant with God, you'll never share your faith. If your personal time and energy is bigger than covenant, you'll never be a great witness for Jesus. God's given us everything. He gave us Jesus, made the covenant. We owe him our time, our talents, and our treasure. Your time, your talents, and your treasure. Your time, and your talents, and your treasure. You owe him, that's your side of the covenant. Give him all of you. What do you have to give? Time Talents, treasure. Maybe you don't feel like you have any talent. Smile, that's a talent for some. Your personality, who you are, give that at work, give it everywhere you go, that's you. That's all you owe God, make sure you give him everywhere, your time, your talents. That means you gotta serve at church, serve people, serve one another, love one another, be good to one another, bear each other's burdens, care for one another. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. D.L. Moody said this. He said, let us not spend time splitting hairs in theology and wrangling about creeds. Let us go to work and save lost souls. I'd rather save one soul from death than have a monument of solid gold reaching from my grave to the heavens. I tell you, the moment I... He said, The monument that I want after I'm dead and gone is a monument with two legs going around the world. A saved sinner telling of the salvation of Jesus Christ. When you get your priorities straight and you understand covenant, you'll get busy. You'll go to your neighbor, you'll go to your friends. You'll you'll tell everybody you can about Jesus somehow. And if you're still too bashful, you'll pass out pieces of paper. And eventually you'll get bold enough to say, God bless you. Somehow you got to get active in this kingdom. Okay, You, You can't let life and the cares and deceitfulness of riches and the hopes and dreams and aspirations you have of this earth life crowd out covenant. Covenant was made with the whole human race. Once you're in it, man, you can't help but help the next person get in it. So God needs us doing good works. He's called you to many, many good works. Not only soul winning, definitely soul winning, definitely witnessing, definitely sharing the gospel with others but also other things. Your position at work, your job responsibilities, showing people how to live before God in in an unsavory world. How does it become savory? Through the salt of the earth. It's your job to be out there showing the world how it looks to be a real Christian. You have a duty out there. Hallelujah, you were called to that. You're called to the place of business that you're at right now. Oh no, I don't think so, I think I need a new job. Well, be good at that one first. Even if it's just for the last week, be really wonderful there so you can get to the next place. It's not all about job, it's not all about career, it's not all about success in the natural. It's, am I fulfilling God's will for the plans and purposes he has not to make the money? The money will come. You serve God, you do your job well, the money will come. He has, you have covenant with God, it'll come. You don't have to chase money. But if you're serving money, you won't witness. Guarantee it. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life, and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.